what was billed as the most progressive council in history. It was very much not. It had more very progressive members than previous councils. But on the whole, we didn't really do anything progressive this term. We pretty much approved everything that the Nashville political establishment wanted. I don't know what makes people, outside of some loud progressive voices, I don't know what made people consider this the most progressive council in history. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. I'm Jamie Holland on X. There you have it. Our guest today in studio, of course, to talk all things runoff, all things at large, all things city council, and all things metro government and politics. Dave Rosenberg, former council member for District 35. How are you, sir? Welcome to the show. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, we do appreciate you coming in and we've got a lot to discuss as it pertains to the the runoff election. We've got a lot to discuss as it pertains to to eight at-large seats. We've got some financial disclosures. We've got early voting numbers we'll get to. Uh, There's a new candidate in the state, I guess it's the U.S. Senate race in 2024. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, in the show, but uh, I, I guess, and we'll get into some of the electorate, maybe how it's broken out through both the general and, and the runoff. So uh, first and foremost, though, before we get into any of that, I would like to throw out, it's disclosure time, boys, on the pod. Just, just let's have some fun. Full disclosure on the pod is the policy, full transparency. So do you guys have anything you'd like to disclose? I can't. I defer to our guest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, former council member Holland has an unhealthy addiction to Metro Three, which I'm watching right now. Metro National Network. There was a rebrand seven years ago. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole disclosure. Um, also, Jamie Holland has represented me as an attorney ably. I might add. There you go. That's all. That's all I needed. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to throw it out there. Ably is code for winning. <laughs> it is. As as Jamie has said on the pod before, uh, he does not take cases generally that he doesn't think he can win uh, or he's just going to charge you a lot more. I think is what you said on the pod. I hate losing. (laughs) I don't know many people who do Dave. Well, let me tell you, he's been putting an ass whipping on. So there you go. There you go. And he, and as you said, his addiction to the television network, the Metro Nashville network is also uh, akin to his addiction to suing Metro government as well. So, there's, there's that. Uh, okay. I want to get into, we got, we got early, we'll get into the eight at large candidates, sort of how do voters need to look at the, the process? How do they differentiate between these candidates? We'll look at some of the fundraising numbers for those folks as well. Again, September 14th is election day. Uh, we are recording this on a Friday. So we have early vote numbers through Thursday evening, uh, 52,614 early votes. That's 14 days. That's about 3,800 votes per day. It's about on pace for what took place, Dave, before in the general election. There was roughly 57,000 votes in early voting prior. We're on pace for about 60,000, 54,000 votes day of on August 3rd. Do, do, what, do you, what do these numbers tell you? We know the electorate skews a little older, the early voters in particular. So what do, we, what do, what do the early voting numbers tell you about any of these races, but in particular the mayoral race? 
much of the early vote electorate has been similar to the general election early vote electorate. The age breakdown is basically identical. The gender breakdown is identical. It's slightly more Republican, probably by about 10 points. It's about Democrat plus 34 instead of plus 44. Part of that is due to about probably close to 10,000 by now, folks who did not vote in the general election that are voting in the runoff, and they split pretty evenly, Republican-Democratic, so it's not like there's a big Trumpy, you know, upswell coming in or anything like that. But we saw so many voters in the first few days of early voting this time around compared to the general, and I think that's largely attributable to the fact that there aren't nine mayoral candidates to choose from. It's, we had a lot of people really waiting to make a decision last time, especially because the race took a really long time to get going. Yeah, um, I, mean, I mean, the early vote on the last few days of the general like skyrocketed from a rate per standpoint, right? It went from like 3,000 a day to like 6,000 a day almost. It was wild. We were up seven, 8,000 in the last right, couple of days right. last time around. And that was not the case yesterday. Yesterday was maybe the third, fourth best day of this early voting. Normally in any election, you get Thursday, Friday, Saturday of early voting being huge days. And we haven't seen that yet. Is there one site outperforming another early voting site by anything significant? No. Um, turnout is up just a little bit at um, some of the wealthier early voting sites and down a, a bit at uh, Southeast and Bordeaux, but not in huge numbers. So for example, uh, Southeast is the one that's down the most and it represents two points less of the early voting electorate than it did during the general. Which, you know, lack of voting in Bordeaux says, you know, there, what's the incentive for people in North Nashville to go to the polls? Right. I mean, I think also there's a feeling that the election's a foregone conclusion. It's only a foregone conclusion if people people don't assume it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, surprises happen when people decide not to show up. So folks need to be out there continuing to vote, of course. Is there a chance that the number is drastically different than the 101,000 total votes cast in the general election? Or do you think we basically get that number? And if it does change, to your point, does that tell us people are staying home because they think it's already decided. I think if you see it down, then that's the answer. I think it's likely to be up just a little bit. And that's because I think a lot of people treat the general as the primary and then wait for the runoff as the main event to come out and vote. Right now, there were a jumble of candidates before. Unless you were for making Nashville great again, you had a lot of things that you needed to choose from. Right now, it's a very stark difference. And to your point, Dave, I think it's as unconvicted or undecided as we were as a count as a as an electorate going into the general is probably as decided as we all are heading into this one i would guess again as a broad sweeping statement i think that's right also my plug is that COVID is going around and it's heating up and it would suck to get COVID on the weekend before election day and not be able to vote so go vote early when you know you can so you don't miss the opportunity i want to transition to welcome you to the club of being a former council member thank you it's my greatest honor however i regret to inform you that you may go on to solve the housing crisis you may go on to fix our transit system you may go on to win the nobel peace prize for solving the conflict in the middle east you will be forever known in national media as a former member of the Metro Council. <laughs> Thank you, Council- Councilman Holland. C- congratulations. <laughs> From one former council member to another. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I will say that one of the first things you ever hear from Jamie when 
is how many people have have won a recall vote? I believe there's one. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Just slipped my mind. In the state. P.S. <laughs> oh, he doubles down. Yes, he doubles in down. The state. Oh man. For, for accuracy's sake. <laughs> uh, I'm, we're not normally in the in the prediction business, but I mean, most polls are out there 18, 19, 20, 22. I mean, you just, you, depending on what you look at for Freddie O'Connell over Alice Rowley. And Alice has not exactly run a smooth runoff campaign, to say the least. She's she's closing a little softer, right, with some of the ads that she's running at the end here, which is to sort of soften the edges of what was maybe maybe a bit of an abrasive <laughs> approach. Or, or as Betsy said last week, uh, a startled approach to, to being into the, into the final two. It, are the numbers even bigger than that? Is it? Or is that about where we're at, you think? It really depends on if progressives turn out and vote or stay home because it's easier. I mean, y'all talked last week about the fact that there's a turnout problem among Democrats. And Democrats look for a reason to not go vote. Many of them. Many are very dedicated voters, but many don't. And if folks can find a reason to not go because it's a done deal, then it becomes a tighter race. You were you were early on Team Freddie, but what has Alice done since the runoff that would indicate she's doing any of the ABCs of winning? It depends. Do you think the Proud Boys have majority support in Nashville? I do not. Okay. Um, they were at the Capitol recently, however, with a banner. <laughs> yes. Proud, borrowing a phrase from the Predators. God. Proud Boys yes. polling underwater. Shocking. <laughs> No, I, I, unless there's a really impressive campaign hunt under the surface to get lots of um, Trumpy people out to vote, then I would say that she's doing none of the things that you do to win a race. I, can I ask a, a sort of a broad motivational question for voters? And because and, I'm I'm fascinated by 450,000 registered Davidson County voters and barely a quarter of them showing up for most every major election pretty consistently. It's been about 100,000, give or take, for the mayoral race in, in general. But I, I'm curious, because you talk about the Democratic voters, when they get motivated, when they find the issue, I think we see this nationally. I don't know how much nationally it applies to our, our little bubble, but I, I'm just curious what drives people's decision. Is is the special session stuff and the noise on social media and, and like sort of the 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 pounding of the table to sort of keep issues alive. Is that, I mean, we've seen that work for specific issues for Democrats around the country, but is that, and, and we've had people in here tell us like, look, it's just about contact. Somebody just needs to knock on my door and talk to me, especially in a crowded field. That would be a reason why I might switch from X to Y. Is there some special sauces or some magic sauce to get people out to vote in general? Is it a, com obviously it's a combination of everything, but I'm just sort of, I am always struck by the, our lack of turnout, both statewide, but also in our, in our, in our city. And uh, aside from just telling people all the time, please go vote, please go vote, please register and please go vote. I'm trying to find what the special sauce is to get people motivated. I'm trying to find that as well. <laughs> um, I mean, Republicans always turn out and vote. I was out at Bordeaux library yesterday and watched a, an elderly gentleman very slowly get out of his car, spend several minutes assembling this really complicated walker from the tailgate of his SUV, walk around. He 
took this walker that he just assembled around to his wife, I assume wife, who took a long time to get down the side of the car, and then they spent five minutes getting inside. They show up to vote no matter what. Also at Bellevue, a friend yesterday was telling me about a group of six very elderly women that all got were piled into an SUV and got out and were very clearly Republican voters who get out and go. Republicans always show up. The question in elections and the difference maker is whether Democrats show up or not. And a lot of times it takes a very immediate issue to make that happen, something that happened very recently and that can be specifically connected to that election. Otherwise, I think it is largely voter contact. It's it's challenging and it's frustrating, but I, a lot of it comes back to a lack of civic education and the impact of local government and state government is not all about the race for president. That's so much of what impacts your day to day happens at the local level. Civic education is a, is a scary one because you talk about an older electorate that sort of sees the impact of government in their day to day life, maybe a little bit more overtly, right? I mean, if you're talking about whether it's prescription medication, whether it's, you know, whatever, like you just see that you see it, I think a little bit more when you're 26, you maybe just don't understand that government is all around you at all times. Yes. Uh, and so I, I'm just, I just, uh, you know, I, I don't care who you vote for. I just want people to go vote. And I am constantly thinking about how do we do a better job of. Yeah. I mean, I do care who you vote for. I want you to make an informed decision based on what's going to benefit the community at large and not just what your parents used to always do. But I mean, I agree. And I think that young people, there's also just a lot of cynicism that make, ah, fuck it. It's just the guy. I'm not going to go. It's, right, it's, right. it's going to be fucked up no matter what I do. My it's, vote won't matter. And I think as you get older, you see that that attitude is what affects how things go. It's almost as if there's been a concerted decades long effort to destroy the credibility of institutions. Almost. Almost, as if that's been a thing. Right. That's happened. There's a new high school in Bellevue. Yes, Anything you want to say about it? James Lawson High School opened in Bellevue this past month. It's an incredible $149 million. Gorgeous. It's what every public school should be. And it hopefully will be the model for future public schools. But uh, that was what Hillwood High School used to be. It was built, started being built in the 1950s. It was a death trap, basically. Narrow hallways, code violations, um, complete mess. The teachers and administrators did a great job making it work. And now they're doing it at James Lawson, named after a huge civil rights hero. I was going to say, tell everybody who that is. James Lawson is the father of the nonviolent civil rights movement. Martin Luther King met him at an event in Ohio when Dr. Lawson had returned from studying a nonviolent protest in, uh, in, the, in the Far East. Uh, he had told him that he needed him to come to Nashville immediately. He came to Nashville and in, over at American Baptist College, he started teaching students how to protest nonviolently. Some of his first students were John Lewis, Diane Nash, Bernard Lafayette, he trained everybody on how to manage the, the sit-ins downtown, uh, how to not fight back, and not just not fight back, but how to love the people who were attacking you rather than having hatred in your heart for them. And, and there was one story where some guy Sounds slugged. like a Tennessee General Assembly. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Sorry. Um, he went on to be expelled from Vanderbilt for refusing to stop the sit-ins. Uh, when the first Freedom Rides 
kind of ran into issues, he went and rode the first bus in to make sure that those continued. And um, he's just a remarkable, he's 94 years old. We're hoping to have him to James Lawson High School to visit and speak to students in the next month. And he was the the driving force behind organizing around the, the garbage in the city protests in Memphis at the time, which is why Martin Luther King was stopping into Memphis all the time during that period of time, which of course we know how unfortunately that ended. So, but he was a big yeah. part. They, they had such an enormous relationship. So I just want people to know who that was and, and why that school was named after, after him. So. And the football team is currently what? Three and O undefeated playing a uh, school from South of the border on Friday. Seem to be three and one. Don't, Sorry, don't, don't, I was going to say, don't jinx. We're recording Sorry, this Dave. before the game. Don't jinx it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, any other mayoral questions, Jamie, before we talk at large? No, at large it is. Uh, that so, race is over. So eight, yeah, eight, eight candidates. I'll, I'll go through these sort of in order in case you don't remember, not you two, but in case the audience doesn't remember in terms of order of total votes received in the general election. We got some finance disclosures as well. We'll get to Delisha Porterfield missed by like a half a point of, of, of clinching a seat in the general 34,000 votes. She finished second. Berkeley Allen had 30,000 votes, finished third. Olivia Hill finished fourth with 25,000 votes. Howard Jones finished fifth with 25,000 votes. And then uh, Quinn Evans Seagal finished uh, sixth, I believe. Uh, and then you've got uh, Russ Pulley, Chris Chang and Jeff Syracuse rounding out the field. That, that's in terms of the order that they finished in the general election. We'll get to some of the money. But I just, first and foremost, how, how should voters in Nashville approach an at-large? I know several people that are single-shotting certain candidates. How, how do you think voters should approach voting for at-large folks that are very, a lot of these folks are very similar? I could draw distinctions among all of them, but they're all personal opinion. A lot of it is educating yourself about the candidates. I mean, the banner and scene have both done great interviews and have great coverage on them. When you look at their materials, looking as much for what they're not talking about as what they are talking about, um, getting an idea for what they care about. And a lot of them are very accessible. You can reach out to them in their campaigns if you really want to understand it. When it comes to walking into the voting booth, you don't have to vote for four. Um, by voting for fewer than four, and on one hand, you're disenfranchising yourself a little bit. On the other hand, if you have one or two candidates who you really love and one who I guess I could vote for, you have to think about the fact that the one you guess you could vote for could end up being one vote against somebody you love and you end up knocking out your own candidate. So there's a little bit of a balance to strike there. It's, it's far more strategic than I think people realize. When they go in and they, they get overwhelmed, they don't have the research and they just look at it and they go... I got to vote for four. Okay, I got to pick them all. Yeah. And, and and the other thing, the th one thing that people say that drives me crazy about single shotting is it's not like voting for the same person four times. <laughs> no, That's you're just, not the way math works. It's not. It's subtraction. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're subtracting from some other folks that you might have voted for and are not. Talk, talk about civic, civic education. We could use some, some math training as well. Yes. Will we get to vote for five in four years? Now, yeah. praise the Lord. So you're on the 20 districts, 20 council pe member, 20 person body. No, but I think it's going to happen. I think the state's going to force it on us. Okay. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. Okay. Uh, if we are forced 
How about this? If we all chose as a Metro Council together that we were going to reduce the size because we would like maybe higher quality candidates and maybe more efficient system, et cetera, et cetera. Let's say all that is true and it works for better for us as the electorate. We, Jamie and I have both been pretty, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we're both pretty uh, anti-at-large seat. Um, that dilutes the, the pool even greater, the, the district's even greater. Are you 20 seats, 20 districts, or are you in favor of at-large seats at 20? Um, I don't think my opinion matters as much. I went into the conversation at council when we had to kind of decide how we were going to break things up if we lost the court case um, pretty strongly for a 17-3 kind of vacillated based on some of the arguments, but I really think it's up to folks in communities that need representation more than my wealthy area of relatively wealthy area of Bellevue does. Like, I think that there's a feeling and I mean, I, I think some listening to the minority communities representatives being spoken to during the council debate, on one hand, there was the idea that generally there is at least one black candidate that comes out in the top three this year. You might have the top two both be black candidates and it increases minority representation. There's also concern that in areas that are more underserved by Metro services, that there's greater benefit in having a smaller district and more direct access to your representative. It is just to refresh people how those districts get get drawn. Let's say it gets does it does get cut down to twenty. Is there a way to make that equitable for minority populations? It, the districts are always drawn the same number of people, and it's drawn in a way that creates districts that both keep neighborhoods together and ensure adequate minority representation, you know, adequate majority minority districts. However, there are just districts where there are higher needs for services and there's no way to make those districts be, you know, have fewer people or any, something any, like that. Yeah. Have any more votes or whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay. Is the next council going to be more progressive than its prior iteration? Yes. And I think that this last council was less progressive than the council before it what was billed as the most progressive council in history was very much not. It had more very progressive members than previous councils, but on the whole, we didn't really do anything progressive this term. We pretty much approved everything that the Nashville political establishment wanted. We, in the previous council, we banned LPRs, and in the most recent council, we allowed LPRs. I don't know what makes people outside of some loud progressive voices i don't know what made people consider this the most progressive council in history that's what it was billed as i've i've heard that turns out the it city's pr most progressive council uh, thing didn't pan out on, on either front how well did the body get along with one another on the whole really well once we got back in person it was when everybody was just a little box on a screen yeah and nobody could socialize with each other. It was really unpleasant. And it really set the council back because all these new members came in not getting to be around anybody or see how government functions or the council functions or is functions. Um, it, was, it was a rough start. And I think that set the whole thing back. But on the whole, I mean, there were a couple little verbal spats here and there. <laughs> <laughs> One or two of them may have been on an open mic, but but on the whole, I think folks got along pretty well. Was it well managed from the chair or the vice mayor? 
I think it just kind of went on on its own volition. Yeah, I think he might have lost control to the extent that position is empowered with control. But to, yeah. to sort of dovetail it back to voters for at-large seats, there there is, like, it, to your point about LPRs, like, it, the Titan Stadium deal and the LPRs, if you are extreme, pr- extremely progressive, like the most progressive body of all time, those two things don't clear as easily as they do. And it's one of the only things that you can actually look at the at-large candidates on and say, like, that person was yes on this these two issues, and that person was no on these two issues. It's one of the very few things. I know, again, you have personal relationships with a lot of these folks. The average voter does not. They can kind of look at the bio, read the stuff, like you said, from from Stephen Elliott and and Stephen and Steve Cavendish and, and Demetri, and you can read all and watch all the videos. But it, the Titans vote and the LPR vote seems like one of the biggest differentiators for voters that aren't as able to be informed, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, those were the most recent big issues before the council. So those are the ones that they were asked about in interviews and have been kind of told that they need to go on the record about um, for a lot of the candidates, I guess, five of them have been on council and you can go and look back kind of extensively about news coverage, about their votes on things. Um, but as far as Quinn, Chris and Olivia, it's really just the interviews that you have. I mean, Quinn and the IDB, but on the whole, you have to look at what they've gone on the record about unless you reach out and ask specifically. Right. Who's going to win the remaining four seats? Um, I would say that Delicia is very, everybody's starting with zero votes going in. So anything can get jumbled up from the first time around. Um, folks are more focused now. Voters can be more focused because you've got eight instead of 21. The campaigns are able to get more specific with their outreach. It's just, it's an easier thing to make. So it is a very different race. I'd rather go into this race having finished in second place than in in the general then in ninth place, but everybody is starting from zero. I do think that Delicia continues to move along at the pace that she has. She, she's working really hard. And I think I've endorsed her by the way. Um, I think that oh, she gets tardy, in. tardy. There it comes. Yes. I've also endorsed Quinn. Um, she was second in the at large poll that came in, which is a jump from sixth. You um, and Kevin Huffman. Oh, good God. For those of y'all don't know who Kevin Huffman is, he's a former commissioner of Tennessee Department of Education. And he's responsible for stealing $3.4 million from our classrooms uh, at the behest of the Dean administration. However, (laughs) nonetheless. Because um, the school board refused to approve the Great Hearts Charter School application that was coming to Davidson Avenue or Street over in West Nashville. Charlotte and Davidson that is now home to to Nashville Classical. Right. It's gone through several charter schools over there and the latest disaster of a school to go in there in an area where there's nothing but wealth and good schools is uh, the leeching Nashville Classical. (laughs) Can we get a a James Lawson over in this side of town? We should get a James Lawson over on this side of town. It's got to be coming soon. West Knoxville, as I like to call it. <laughs> well, that, that war's over. Yeah. I want to say about, I think, Delisha Porterfield candidacy is an interesting point relative to electoral politics, at least as far as Davidson County is concerned, because 
absent a zoning bill, and I'm not even sure a zoning bill, absent a zoning bill, she has never passed a bill that she was lead sponsor of in the Metro Council. And now she's in line to be the number two position of at large, not running for reelection in her council district. I would argue that passing legislation is a small part of being a council member. And a lot of it is about uh, representing people, influencing the conversation and improving other pieces of legislation that pass through the body. I think you have swallowed whole that endorsement, Dave. <laughs> I'm uh, very and, proud to have done so. Anti-Titans deal, anti-LPR, housing over police, uh, admits openly that the property tax is is coming. So that's just a couple, again, just a couple of bullet points there. Do you support housing, Jamie Holland? Housing over police, Jamie. Housing solves all our problems. We need more of it. And that's why I'm stunned. What what zoning bill did she approve that increased density in her council district? I think she's got a huge pipeline of housing coming in her district. But she won't be doing it. She will not. Was she responsible for getting it going? The growth, I mean, it's the growth in Antioch. That's prove been, right. prove I mean, it. Prove all it. Prove the, it. All right. The tons of rezoning that happened oh, probably when you were in uh, th- that esteemed body, Jamie, and then the economy fell apart and a lot of it didn't get built and now it's getting built former council member jamie holland uh focused on housing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let me ask you let me again i did this with the mayoral race and all when they had like 47 candidates in there but i kind of want to do this and we can kind of go rapid fire so you don't have to give me long answers here but i'm just curious for voters i'm going to start with sort of a sort of single issues here and kind of work our way and say if if you're if this is the issue you're most passionate about, these are the folks that you probably should lean towards. Again, you have some intimate knowledge of these folks personally. So I'll, I'll start with a very broad. If you are if you are a, a moderate who wants the body to be more moderate and wants to be more centrist, who are the candidates that those voters would be looking at in this group? I would say that it already is very centrist. So. I don't know that voting for progressives makes it, you know, lefty. But to your point, if you want, if, if you know, if you want to, if you want to move the body to the right, then I would say, let me put it this way. The folks who are most likely to vote for the things that are being proposed by sure. the Nashville establishment would be Syracuse, Allen, Pulley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. If housing is your number one issue and the thing you care the most about, who do you think has the best ability to Man. make some things happen in that department? Porterfield, Seagull, and I don't know where the – those are the only ones I can say for sure. Well, I'll give you a data point of why Chang's not going to be in that conversation because he was at an intersection yesterday morning between 8 and 8.30 at Charlotte and Whitebridge Road wagging a – sign around like that's that's a not the, that's a confusion with activity versus productivity uh, uh tra- what about tra- they've all spoken about transit we know transit's coming in the east bank development we, we we know a front runner for the mayoral election who is a bespectacled transit nerd who are these folks if you're if you're most considered about if you're most concerned about transit and that's your top issue what candidates do you recommend i haven't heard a lot about transit that differentiates the candidates there we go. 
So, so, go, it sounds so, like, so we're so going to maintain like the status quo is what I'm hearing. So it sounds like you need to go read and listen to interviews and talk to the individuals. And frankly, like you said, Dave, go talk, reach out to the campaigns themselves reach out to and the ask the questions yourself. And if you have concerns about LPRs, then you've got Porterfield, Seagull, Hill, possibly Chang on the other side. Yep. Syracuse, Pulley, and Allen were all for it. Howard Jones is for them and for adding facial recognition into the picture. So what I'm hearing is in the next four years, the relationship between the metropolitan government and the state of Tennessee, it's going to be calm. <laughs> it will continue to be calm, friendly, respectful. Productive. Productive, yes. Beneficial for all of Tennessee. Uh, I, I think it's going to be ramped up on steroids times 10. Mm. I'm hopeful that some strong management on the first and second floors in these forthcoming administrations will provide a little bit of easing on that front. What are you smoking? I would like some. Just not what in a bar. over there? <laughs> That is a big pile of weeds right there. My God. God's plant, Dave. God's, God's plant. plant. Yes. I heard that. Oh, man. Um, Lifesaver for some. It's important. In the, actually, Russ Poley co-sponsored the bill to decriminalize it in Nashville during our first term. SEC football official. SEC football official. When they ask what those officials are smoking. <laughs> No SEC football fan has ever had an opinion about an official. It helps him with his cataracts, I'm told. Um, you you were on three. <laughs> That's not true. I made that up. You were you were on three committees, uh, I believe, um, according to the internet. Uh, what most recently? <laughs> most recently, <laughs> the internet side. Are there too many? Okay. Are there too many committees? Like I, you start. If the average person starts to look at all those names of those committees and writing all those names down, and we talk about the size of the body being. Again, take the state's relationship and, and the motivations of the state out of it. There are, there are legitimate logical reasons why the body could be shrunk to 20 to actually make it better for Davidson County voters. Uh, but is, are, are there too many committees? No. And we actually, I think, eliminated five or six of them and combined them during this last term to get it down to the number it is now. Um, it ends up working. I mean, usually on any given, our scheduling and really the whole structure of the council being a part-time gig is the problem because you have all these important topics that are coming before committees. You have to cram them into a Monday afternoon and a Tuesday afternoon. Folks can't get there until after a certain time because they have work. So we have very limited time to consider bills in these committees. And that's where a lot of the work takes place. So, but the number of committees is good because it gives us the opportunity to discuss different bills and different committees in small groups, bigger committee, more committees means smaller groups. And that's a big help for getting conversations really started on these and making the bills better before they get to the floor. Doesn't always work, um, but that's the best system that we've got. What's the solution to not having council meetings go to fucking 1 a.m.? every time it's not really public service at that point because nobody's no. nobody's staying up things to, and to things get that. punchy late at night and things pass faster or get less discussion when you get into that hour of the night and if you're running a bill that might be problematic sometimes it can be strategic to make sure that it's happening on one of those nights the problem is 
often just council members who want to hear themselves talk and who stand up and say, I don't want to repeat what so-and-so said, but I'm going to spend three minutes repeating what so-and-so said and just enjoy hearing their own voice. And not only does that make the, the meeting last longer, but it dilutes like the actual substance of the conversation. It's really frustrating. If you're regularly running out the three minute clock, you shouldn't be standing up in the first place. Is the person that calls the question always in the queue? <laughs> yes, this last term, the person who called the question was always next in the queue. Okay, just yes. check. Uh, the vice mayor was, had great fidelity with that, for better or worse. And how do we know that to be true? Our screens show us the order of the queue. Super lucky there. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. We moved beyond pen and paper. <laughs> Not and, except for certain elections that have multiple candidates. Which is also changing. It just so happens, coincidentally, a couple of days after our new vice mayor met with our IT team, they came out with new software that will address that problem. So that my They got people in the IT department that can write code? Uh, I or did we buy it? I think, they, I think both. I think they have people who can write code. And, and Granicus is who's providing. Uh, the same people that provide the state website is, is our provider. Yeah, it sounds like we're going to be able to do voting on machines. So, Holy shit. Vice Mayor Henderson is already having an impact. There you have it. Uh, what about uh, finances in the month of August? Any, any uh, lessons to be learned? Anything you take away? Um, number one financial disclosure, uh, Quinn Evans Seagull raised $136,000. I think it's Seagull. Seagull. Do I keep Siegel. saying that wrong? I'm sorry. Um, I apologize, Quinn. Uh, Jeff Syracuse raised $119,000. Uh, Olivia Hill, who'd be, I believe, the first trans council member, I think, in Tennessee history, I believe. That's right. Uh, $113,000 raised, $80,000 raised by Russ Pulley. Delisha Porterfield, $61,000 raised. We do not have Berkeley Allens at time of taping. Uh, $24,000 raised by Chris Chang and 17500 by Howard Jones. Anything to be gleaned from the financial disclosures uh, for the basically for the month of, of August? Yes. I mean... But it also is as much about how are you spending your money? Is it going to staffers or is it going to voter contacts? You can raise $200,000, but if you're paying it all to consultants and staff and fundraisers and that sort of thing, then I'd rather have $60,000 that's going to voter contacts, whether it's texts or digital or mail or whatever your preferred method of contact is. Sound like you just described the Heidi Campbell for mayor campaign. Do, do, do you think text messaging <laughs> is actually effective? Because I, as the person who receives those all the time from everybody, I, I feel like I would donate to your campaign if you didn't to text me. You. Yeah. I think it depends on the race. Probably not so much at the top of the ballot, but that large rate... At large is a popularity contest. It's about name recognition. Yeah. And mo even educated voters often aren't going in with four selections. Um, spoke with a lady yesterday at Bordeaux Library who was very familiar with the mayor's race, had two people she knew she wanted to vote for at large, but wasn't sure what she wanted to do with the other two votes, if anything. So in that sense, I think, yeah, texts are helpful. And more than any of that is having somebody at the polls holding a sign for you. Um, having somebody at the, at the polls right before you go in saying, this is a legitimate candidate. They have 
real life support from actual breathing human beings, it might be safe for me to give them one of my votes is a big yeah. differentiator. Count new council based on your endorsement slash project projections of what it's going to look like. Cause again, we've got three other runoffs, by the way, I think in four, 11 and 29, and then you've got, four, so you, there's seven names basically we don't yet know, right. but we know a big chunk of the, the body. How would you describe what the next Metro council will be like? And then what is, again, we're meeting, they're meeting in a couple of weeks, their first meeting, right, is in, in the first week of October. Yeah. What, are, what are the biggest issues you think that this group will be facing right away? I think that the council, we're losing some big thinkers off the council, but we're also seeing some of the now second termers stepping up. So I think that we'll be in pretty good shape. I think we're bringing some good thinkers onto the council who are newly elected this time around. I think it'll be a little bit more progressive or at least... Um, inquisitive about what's moving for you know what kind of legislation they're moving through um but i also think that they're gonna be a really well-prepared council i think one of the things that the new vice mayor is really focused on is making sure that council members come in with the tools they need to succeed that they get the training about how the meetings are going to work how to move legislation how to provide constituent service and we haven't done a whole lot of that in the past um, and, and I think that we saw kind of some messes of council meetings this last time because of that. So I, I think that'll be, I, but I also think that folks will try to tackle big issues. I think they're going to have a good partner in the mayor's office. I'm hopeful that they will, um, obviously. And, um, but also I think that what they need to be prepared for is a lot of big initiatives that are going to get overruled by the state if they are seen as too progressive. That doesn't mean you don't do it. You don't do the state legislature's job for them by not passing legislation, but there needs to be a certain amount of understanding about what's coming. LPRs is one of those. A lot of folks decided to build, vote for LPRs because they felt comfortable with the guardrails that they had placed around their use. Folks need to recognize that the state has already signaled that if we expand LPRs, they're going to come in and wipe out a lot of those guardrails so they could get used to identify when women are trying to seek reproductive health or when folks are going in for other any you know going places for private purposes that all that data is going to be out there for them and there's still an LPR vote ahead and that's going to be a big thing to consider and somebody making a whole lot of money on that data whole lot of money does the department of justice still come in and give a presentation about the religious land use exception federal law to council members no ah well maybe it should be renewed because i don't know if you know about teen center rip ryman stopped a zoning bill in his district several years ago and they sued and we settled on liability and part of the resolution of that is the council got a lecture from the department of justice Okay. About religious land use exception law relative to zoning, which makes me think that, you know, the first elections coming up within the body are the planning committee chair, traffic and parking committee chair. Is there any other election? I guess speaker pro, pro, speaker pro tem. Yeah. Anything else? That, no, that should be it. And, and the council is going to be voting on a lot more boards and commissions with the overhaul lately. The council, there'll be council, I think, um, nominations to a lot more boards under legislation that council member Sepulveda passed. Which was what? Uh, and and it came out from what? It came in from the fairgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. Fair board. Fair board. Sorry. The board of fair commissioners, both the commission and the board. Correct. <laughs> Technical. 
Yes. But what's the new policy? Uh, there is a long list of boards and commissions for which council members nominate prospective members instead of them all being mayoral appointments. So the legislative branch dipping its toe into the executive branch. That's, yes, that's accurate. The legislative branch cedes a lot of power to the executive branch historically in Nashville. So much of the power actually lies with the legislative branch, but that's usually all given to the first floor, largely because there are 40 members and you can't herd cats. But yes, this is a little bit of a swing in the other direction. Yeah, I'm I, sure it's going to work out well. To, <laughs> to, to, to wrap up... That sort almost of, that felt sarcastic. Yeah, almost. Uh, to wrap up sort of the electorate, um, data part of this. We, we have, if there are potentially four women elected at, at large, Jamie said that the women are the women voters are the story of sort of the election, both general and mayoral and council, et cetera. Um, is, is number one, is that true? And then is there anything else? We'll just wrap up. Do you have any final points on the, the voting electorate? How did Republicans who didn't vote for Alice Rowley break in the mayoral election? Like, I'm just curious about anything else that you may have picked up along the way. Well, no, the defense is wrong. No, I don't think. I mean, the, the gender breakdown of the electorate is the same as it has been. That's actually one point less female than I guess it was in 2015 at this point. So basically identical. Jamie's itching to mention that there was a female candidate in that mayoral election. <laughs> But yes, so I'm thank and, you. And, and, I there were like and, seven. I was going to say there's more than one. But yeah, <laughs> like seven. They split their vote. Got diluted. Yes. Um, uh, wait, okay. But, well, so, assuming, I don't, you're, you're assuming every woman has ever voted because she only votes for another woman. I didn't say that. We are all. You, you would not make it in the court of law because that is bullshit. The gender breakdown is a lot like it is. Hey, Metro Legal's hiring. <laughs> If they're hiring podcast hosts, I'm qualified. <laughs> Overly. <laughs> I, I, I believe that no voting electorate is a monolith. Not one. Not one of them. Correct. I, the gender breakdown is a lot as it always been. And I don't necessarily agree that women, women vote Democratic in higher numbers than men do. But I don't think that they vote for women in higher numbers. If they did, we'd have a lot more women in office outside We're of the Metro Council. We're about to have an all-female front row. The Metro Council was 2019 female last council once we lost a, a, a council member, too. But it's not the same if you look at... Well, we're in a city full of Democrats. If you look at the state or federal governments, you don't see that balance, even though women vote in large numbers. This is not a podcast too. about state and federal government elections, Dave. Thank goodness. You don't want to talk about District 5 in the hopes of winning it next year? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Things that happen in the state of Tennessee matter to the people in Nashville. I'll just say that. Yes. I think that... Angie Thumps Jim, Afton Thumps Anthony. Don't tell me women aren't this story of this electric. About to have an all-female front row. Come on. And then Freddie wins by 40 points. Over a woman. Not relevant, Dave. <laughs> just, not happens, relevant. just happens to be a fucking Republican. Not relevant. That's not happening. You right. knew that before the race started? I knew that before the race started. She wasn't going to win. All right. Hell, according to Betsy, even she knew. Like, she startled to be there. Get the fuck out of here. It's amazing that a 20% 20 strategy doesn't carry into a general where you need to win 50. That's amazing. The thing I want to hold is that she performs less well than David Fox did, which made this entire 
strategy a damn fool's errand. That was an 11. Except he got on some commercials and then some mail. Good for David. Was that an 11-point win, I believe, in the runoff for Megan Barry yeah, over David Fox? I think something like that. So nah, that's going to be 20. I'll take, the, I'll take the over on the 11 points uh, for sure. Uh, speaking of uh, women running for office, so real quickly, this is to, to wrap up the show here, and uh, Gloria Johnson announces that she's going to run for the Senate seat against Marsha Blackburn. Of course, she has to go into the Democratic primary against Marquita Bradshaw for now. Those are the, two the defending winner. Those are the two candidates that are in there. Um, for those that, I mean, obviously, Gloria Johnson has, has built a much a high profile through the expulsion process and through the special session the last couple of weeks. But no money. Um, for those that don't know, she won her House seat in 2012. She then lost her House seat in 2014, lost it again in 2016, and then won it back against an incumbent in 2018. The last time a Democrat was even close to a state Senate seat uh, was Harold Ford losing to Bob Corker in 2006. It's been a long time. Marsha Blackburn does herself no favors with literally anything that she puts <laughs> onto into the world. But I do think, and I, I don't love being a giant wet blanket here, but I just, the chances, the odds of one of these two Democratic candidates actually making it a fight feels extremely, I think Jamie says, uh, slim to none. And I just saw Slim walking down the street, I believe, to steal his parlance. Your thoughts on Gloria Johnson getting into the U.S. Senate race? Win or lose, she brings a lot of attention to Tennessee, a lot of attention into the race, and builds coalitions, and hopefully, at the least, helps with down ballot, with building for the future. I mean, this is... Tennessee's never going to be a one election state. Like, you've got to be playing a long game to get into power. Our legislature is incredibly underwater right now. I mean, if you look at the percentage of Tennesseans who vote Democratic versus the percentage of Tennesseans, uh, of, de of Democrats in the legislature, there's a huge discrepancy there because of the way districts are drawn and need to start eating away at that supermajority. And that's a year-by-year -year process, and I think Gloria is going to be a benefit in helping to move that in somewhat of a positive direction. Don't look at me like that. There's nothing to say about that race other than she has to knock off Marquita Bradshaw first. And when Marsha Blackburn ran against Phil Bredesen, who was the last Democrat to win a statewide race, I think it was 2006, if you told me it was 2002, Okay. Uh, he won all 95 counties in his reelection against Jim Bryson, who was a senator at the time. Sac sacrificial lamb, if you will. He parlayed that now. I think he's commissioner of finance and administration yes. now. In, in the same election that Bob Corker beat Harold Ford in, by the way. Right. And when he, when he ran against Marsha, 60 Minutes just brokered a – or aired a story about her involvement in the opioid crisis across the country and how much money she was taking from the pharmaceutical industry that was implicated for doing bad things and spreading the opioid crisis in the Sackler family, Purdue Pharma, Oxycontin. That didn't take her down. Brett Kavanaugh. You're saying Phil Bredesen saying he was going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh sunk his battleship? Yes. Oh, bullshit. I'm not saying he would have won, but oh my God. Do you don't think that took all the air out of his campaign? I, I People would, sat and yeah. cried when he who believed in that campaign when that happened. Now, now, did, and stayed home. Was it the reason he lost? No. It's not the reason he lost. It's the reason he lost by double digits. 
we've talked a lot on this show about the long the long game of sort of rebalancing whether it's state and metro relationships whether it's the 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 within the council whether it's you know Jamie's big on the hollowing out of the center like all this whole things are going to eventually swing back and read a history book about Tennessee they 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 swing for very specific reasons of course historically but they do tend to go back and forth and it's a long 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 process we talked last week in the last couple of episodes about the the special session the gun issue in particular is a PR battle it's all it's just a it's a 20 year PR battle that hopefully at the end of it, people have changed their minds about certain things and maybe it takes us to a certain new place. So to me, if I'm running comms, I am spending money on I don't like a John Fetterman style campaign. For those that don't know, just spent money on funny, interesting attack, social, creative ways to just take body shots at Dr. Oz and the Pennsylvania Senate race. Marsha Blackburn is sitting there you could just soften up the the fertile the soil for the next race or the next race isn't that all that you're trying to do at this point is build a coalition and then soften the ground for maybe the next race six years from now yeah i mean the democratic brand is trashed in tennessee and it's going to take a long time to get into a majority here so it's a matter of it, it is the long game of starting to get into hearts and minds throughout tennessee and start making a little progress marsha blackburn is not smart. She's not a good politician. She was in the right place at the right time, got elected, and now just spits out like AI-generated sound bites on Twitter. <laughs> and I mean, she's got no X. redeeming qualities. It, it, on it, X. it, it, it feels it, like it, on X Twitter. It, it presupposes that there's organizational yeah. effort in the state of Tennessee to change things in the name of the Tennessee Democratic Party, which does not fucking exist in the real world. No. Its most recent rural organizer, I would say, failed. And you don't it, think we're doing well in rural areas? <laughs> <laughs> when you say we, you speak of the Tennessee Democratic Party, of which well, I'm not I, a member. I speak of Democrats in general, <laughs> well, or, or uh, those who well, are against uh I'm in the middle. The, Nazi, the neo-Nazi. Uh, I'm in the hollowed out club. I, I would argue that almost all of us are in the middle, but that's just. That's where the people are, but not where the elections get drawn for sure. And that's, ergo, the hollowing out. But like, there's not even a semblance of an organization to win an election on a statewide basis. The, that mo- most recent rural organizers go now go on state house of representatives. And will be there in January. Well, it, I don't think that winning the election is the mo- is the needs to be the focus right now. It's it's building to- winning an election comes after winning an argument, and we haven't been we as people who are against a party that is cuddling up to neo Nazis have not done a good job of doing that, and it's hard. Like there was a long conservative effort to. The Red to the Roots campaign was incredibly successful and started from building a bench. Now it's a little bit harder to swing things back in the other direction because of the structural advantages that have taken place since Tennessee swung red, whether it's in creating partisan elections um, more widely at the local level or just the fact that media has been segmented. I I would guess that this podcast does not have huge conservative listenership and... 
for them. I think you'd be wrong. I think you'd be wrong. We got a few. We got a few. Here's what I would say. I, to like how you win the argument is a, is a good point, and I find that interesting as a media comms person for most. We're of my a career. bipartisan podcast. We are an independent independent podcast. Is what we are. Personal freedom is the message. I don't know why personal freedom is not the message. Every single thing ties into personal freedom. Right. Personal freedom for my like what I want to do to my body. Personal freedom for what I want to think. Personal freedom for what I want to read. Personal freedom for what I want to smoke. Personal freedom for who I want to love. Personal freedom for who I want to worship. I, I like. I don't know, understand why it, uh, personal freedom that I get to vote every time, like, and that my vote counts, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It doesn't even have to be true, but that's the message that work uh, to me. I don't know as a again as a register. I'll call myself a registered independent. As a as a registered independent, like that appeals to me. Like, uh, don't don't fuck with my personal freedoms. And despite what the messaging out there tells you, it's not the reality. It's the other way around. And so that's the to me that's the winning argument. From a again, if I'm just talking from a comms perspective, if I'm running the campaign against hypothetically a fairly ridiculous current sitting senator, <laughs> I I that's the strategy I would deploy. I think you're right, but I think there's also an element of trying to convince, you know, people have been well convinced not to believe their lion eyes, that they're, they're told that the Republican Party is the party of personal freedom and the party of economic populism and all these things, and every piece of evidence to the contrary is dismissed because it's not what you've been conditioned to believe. It's easy to get people to believe the things that they've always believed yeah the best conspiracy theories are the ones that uh sort of pluck at the nerves of things that we already kind of think are possible little grain of truth or something yes exactly to the to the question on the machine though i do find that interesting because we've seen those types of voting machine this kind of goes back to my first question dave about turnout and how do we get uh, that there's more than just an issue that spurns action it's more than just a candidate who's very inspiring it's more than a particular vote that took place there's also there needs to be a a voting machine that is statewide that countywide whatever it is that is implemented and distributed and run by good people we've seen that in other states other states have had people come in and develop turnout machines and yes there needs to be a turnout machine i would like our machines to be located at bars <laughs> sign me up when you come is that also where guns, guns where you are in there come too? get a free beer now we're talking and once you cast your vote and demonstrate your medallion, which is a sticker that says you voted. Now he's, he's that big pile of weed is being put to Absolutely. use. <laughs> God's it is getting foggy in here. God's plant. God's plant. But I, and also, I mean, that the voting turnout thing, the discrepancy comes back to what you've always been. Like some, when you grow up with your parents voting and them taking you to vote, you're more likely to go vote. I love taking my kids to vote because I'm because they're going to become voters very soon. Um, trying to create first generation voters from a family, whether it's because the parents didn't do it out of habit or disenfranchisement, is a lot more difficult. I, my my daughters have been to vote. I think like twelve times. They're seven years nice. old, six and seven. Put the machines in bars if you want more people to vote. Oh. If you don't, Maybe not keep, them se- out of, keep them out of bars. Hard to Jamie's. Take the, hard to take the seven-year-old in there to vote. <laughs> Jamie's that, disenfranchising teetotalers. There's, that's all. <laughs> we're not going to put it in a twenty-one and over bar. Oh, okay. All right. You can take your kids. Okay, sounds good. To a bar that's not 
21 and over. <laughs> My little seven-year-old has oh, X's man. on her hands while she votes. <laughs> <while she bows. laughs> Maybe not those bars, <laughs> Braden. We're not, we're not going to put them on lower broad. Okay? No, I know, I know. We're not going to put your friendly neighborhood bar. I like a friendly neighborhood bar with a voting machine. Sounds, that, you sounds can, that, you, that you can no longer smoke in with the exception of cannabis. Uh, yes. On that note. Derived. <laughs> Derived. It's infused. Derived. <laughs> I don't know what these words mean. Thank you very much. Dave, uh, thank you so much for coming in and entertaining uh, Jamie, former, <laughs> former, council, former council member. Holland. Former thanks, council thanks, member thanks, Dave council Rosenbaum. Member that will be your brand this point forward. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, it's, it's you can't a, run from it. It's such an honor to be in a room with two former council members at the same time. It's truly an honor. Dave, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Where should people follow Jamie? On Twitter, oh, they should follow at uh, Jay Holland on Twitter. Yeah, you're not going to get me there. Yeah, Praise Jay's, the Lord, you don't Jay, know. Jay dot Holland on Twitter. Don't, don't know the handle. Great. Jamie dot Holland. Jamie it. underscore search, Holland. Search all those Just places. Just search for Jamie Holland you're on not, Twitter, you're and it'll not come up. I find it. I'm going to change my name at, at Jr Holland on Twitter and Threads and Instagram and all the other places. Look no, for no. somebody attacking the Department of Law incessantly, and you found Jamie. <laughs> Go vote, everybody. September 14th. Metro legal vote. sucks. Braden, where is the t-shirt? I, I want a BizPigs t-shirt. <laughs> I want to make some BizPigs t-shirts. <laughs> I am director of law is another one I want. You have to go <laughs> one of those. to the show and scroll all the way the fuck down <laughs> and hit five stars. It's not intuitive. You can't get it from the episode and give five stars to the asshole that gave the one star rating. <laughs> I have something for you, dumbass. I want to read it. Hang on. The one star rate. It wasn't a review. He didn't leave a review. He left a rating. He hit one star. That still fucking helps us. If you didn't want it, if you wanted us to know you suck, just quit listening, jackass. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hang on. I'm, there's a, here's a three. Can I read a three star review for you? <laughs> <laughs> the Metro council member was talking about the attire of the council members, but her mouth speech language was very unprofessional during the episode. People wonder why there is not much respect for council members. It says this is explicit content. <laughs> also, is your the fucking brand was on it, dumbass. <laughs> I think berating our audience is not exactly the way, <laughs> the way to grow the podcast. Five star. Yeah. You got to scroll all the way to the fucking bottom. It's all a pain in the ass. It's dumb. I'm only using Apple Podcasts. I don't, I don't use Spotify for hey, that. Here's so a, click the purple icon. Here, here's what's interesting. Yeah, go to the bottom. Scroll to the bottom. Hit five stars, please, for the love of Christ. What's interesting, though, is that Jamie says fuck a whole lot more than that particular council member, but she was treated differently for some particular reason. Can't imagine hmm, why. I wonder why. Can't imagine why. Uh, Dave, thank you so much. Where do, for do you, me. Can people follow you somewhere? Where can they follow you? I am no longer being followed. I'm off. Uh, uh, you're off the. D you're Dave, off the machine. Dave Rosenberg, TM. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. You're not getting off Elon's sewer. I no. didn't say I was. It's nice to be there with him. I'm on anti-Semitic ass. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Elon Zuckerberg boxing match. Uh, he would lose quickly. I'm waiting. Zuck actually has some like. I will watch. Isn't he like a big? Isn't Zuck like a big jujitsu guy? He gives a shit. I'll watch. <laughs> Zuckerberg will. I think Zuckerberg. I'm a huge fan, but will kick his ass. I and agree, I'm for I agree, it. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah. Well, I thought we were closing I, the show. I right? think we all win in that fight. 
I agree. No matter what side. Exactly. You're on. As long as both of them are bloody. No. We're, we're, see, we're not hollowing out the center of social media, though. That's what we're doing. We're, we're bringing the, the center back. Bring the center exactly. back. For Jamie, for Dave, I'm Braden. And thank to you. the asshole commenters on God Betsy's damn. video, <laughs> fuck y'all. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck, fuck y'all. y'all. Yeah, fuck y'all. Fuck y'all. Have a good weekend.